Topic 20, Fifth Paper of 20th Century Negro Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. 20th Century Negro Literature, Topic 20, Fifth Paper by Reverend S. Kerr. To give anything like a true sketch of Mr. Kerr's life and labors, both in and out of the ministry, would fill a good-sized volume rather than a page of this book, as his life has been replete with thrilling, romantic incidents. The Reverend Mr. Kerr graduated with honors, having received the degree of A.B. from Rawdon College, Leeds, England. He returned at once to the West Indies, where he labored three years. In 1859, he did extensive missionary work in the Turks and Caicos Islands, where in 1860 he accepted the appointment of Registrar of Births and Deaths. In 1863, he accepted the appointment of Assistant Master of the Government Schools at Grand Turk, and was afterwards appointed Headmaster. In 1864, he filled the dual role of Inspector of Schools and Missionary, and he passed unscathed through the great hurricane of 1866, which devastated the whole colony, destroyed all the schools and public buildings, as well as 2,500 dwelling houses, including Mr. Kerr's personal property. In 1867, he was sent as missionary to Haiti, where, as everywhere, he did good work. In 1873, he was appointed professor at the National Lyceum College for Boys and Young Ladies, where he did effective and extensive missionary work in Cape Haitian, Grand Riviere, and Dondon, and maintained considerable influence with the Haitian officials and authorities. In 1880, he was advanced to the priesthood of the Episcopal Church of America by the Right Reverend J. T. H. Hawley, D.D., L.L.D., Bishop of Haiti. In 1882, he was delegated to represent the Episcopal Church in the United States, and to collect funds for the building of the same in Haiti. On landing in New York, his reception by Bishop Horatio Potter was cordial in the extreme. The same by Bishops Littlejohn of Long Island, T.A. Starkey of Northern New Jersey, T.M. Clark of Warwick, Rhode Island, M.A. DeWolf Howe, Central Pennsylvania, William C. Doan, Albany, Alfred Lee, Primate, Delaware, W.B. Stevens, Pennsylvania, H. A. Neely of Maine, A. C. Cox, Western New York. He occupied the pulpits of the leading Episcopal churches in New York, Old Trinity, Grace Church, St. Chrysostom's, St. Paul's, St. Philip's, and others. The leading churches in Brooklyn, Yonkers, Newport, Rhode Island, Newark, New Jersey, Orange, New Jersey, Syracuse, Saratoga Springs, Utica, Buffalo, Rochester, Albany, Newburgh, Poughkeepsie, Sing Sing, Berrytown, Terrytown, Philadelphia, Germantown, Ashbourne, Reading, and Cheltenham, and many others. In 1883, he was sent to Jamaica, West Indies, and the following year he was appointed by the Provincial Synod under the auspices of the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel, London, England, rector of the Panama Railroad Church and archdeacon of the Church of England Mission, and chaplain to the Panama Canal Company. In 1889, he made an extensive missionary tour through Central America, 
where he performed religious services at the opening of the Nicaragua Canal, coming in touch with several Indian tribes, and gaining considerable knowledge of their manners and customs in their crude condition. In 1890, he returned to the West Indies and was transferred to the Diocese of Florida and made rector of St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Key West, where he has a large parish and congregation and where he is highly esteemed by all classes, white and colored. My purpose in writing upon this subject is to investigate God's disciplinary and retributive economy in races and nations with the hope of arriving at some clear conclusion concerning the Negro as a Christian. First, it may be just and proper to view the races of mankind in respect to growth and mastery. The principles of growth and mastery in a race, a nation, or a people are the same all over the globe. The same great agencies needed for one quarter of the globe and in one period of time are needed for all quarters of the globe, for all people, and for all time, and consequently needed for this American nation. The children of Africa and America are in no way different from any other people in respect to Christianity. Many of the differences of races are accidental and oftentimes become obliterated by circumstances, position, and religion. Go back to a period in the history of England when its rude inhabitants lived in caves and huts, when they fed on bark and roots, when their dress was the skins of animals. Then look at the eminent Englishman of the present day, cultivated, graceful, refined, Christianized. When we remember that his distant ancestors were wild and bloody savages, that it took centuries to change his forefathers from rudeness and brutality into enlightened, civilized Christians, there is no room to doubt the susceptibility of the Negro to Christianity. The same great general laws of growth continue unchangeable. The Almighty neither alters nor diminishes these laws for the convenience of a people of whatever race they may be. The Negro race is equally susceptible to growth in Christianity as in civilization. At once the question arises, is the Negro race doomed to destruction? Or does it possess those qualities which will enable it to reach a high degree of moral and Christian civilization? To the first of these questions, I replied that the Negro race is by no means doomed to destruction. It is now over 500 years since the breath of the civilized world touched powerfully for the first time the mighty masses of the pagan world in America, in Africa, and the Isles of the Sea. And we see everywhere that the weak heathen tribes of the earth have gone down before the civilized world. Tribe and nation have dispersed before its presence. The Iroquois, the Pequods, the brave Mohawks, the once refined Aztecs and others have gone, nevertheless to be ranked among the tribes of men. In the scattered islands of the Pacific seas, like the stars of the heavens, the sad fact remains that from many of them their populations have departed like the morning cloud. They did not retain God in their knowledge. Just the reverse with the Negro. Destructive elements, wave after wave, have swept over his head, yet he has stood unimpaired. Even this falls short of the full reality of the Negro as a Christian, for civilization at numerous places has displaced ancestral heathenism, and the standard of the cross uplifted on the banks of its great river, showing that the heralds of the cross have begun the glorious conquests of their glorious king. Vital Christian power has become the property of the Negro. 
Does God despise the weak? No, the providence of God intervenes for the training and preservation of such people. But has the Negro race any of those qualities which emanate from Christianity? Let us see. The flexibility of the Negro character is universally admitted. The race is possessed of a nature more easily molded than that of any other class of men. Unlike the Indian, the Negro yields to circumstances and flows with the current of events. Hence afflictions, however terrible, have failed to crush him. His facile nature wards them off or else through the inspiration of hope their influence is neutralized these peculiarities of the negro character render him susceptible to imitation burke tells us that imitation is the second passion belonging to society and this passion arises from much the same cause as sympathy this is one of the strongest links of society it forms our manners our opinions our lives Indeed, civilization is carried down from generation to generation, or handed over from a superior to an inferior by means of imitation. A people devoid of imitation is incapable of progress or advancement, and must retrograde. If it remains stagnant, it must of necessity bring its own decay. The quality of imitation has been the grand preservative of the Negro in all lands. Indeed, the Negro is a superior man today to what he was three centuries ago. I feel fortified in the principles I have advanced by the opinions of great scrutinizing thinkers. In his treatise on emancipation, written in 1880, Dr. Channing says, The Negro is one of the best races of the human family. He is among the mildest and gentlest of men. He is singularly susceptible to improvement. Kinmont declares in his Lecture on Man that the sweet graces of the Christian religion appears almost too tropical and tender plants to grow in the soil of the caucasian mind they require a character of the human nature of which you can see the rude lineaments in the ethiopian to be implanted in and grow naturally and beautifully withal adamson the traveller who visited senegal in seventeen fifty four said the negroes are sociable humane obliging and hospitable and they have generally preserved an estimable simplicity of domestic manners. They are distinguished by their tenderness for their parents, and great respect for the aged, a patriarchal virtue which in our day is too little known. Dr. Riley also, at a great meeting in London, said, There is in these people a hitherto undiscovered mine of love, the development of which will be for the amazing welfare of the world. Greece gave us beauty rome gave us power the anglo-saxon unites and mingles these but in the african people there is the great gushing wealth of love which will develop wonders for the world i feel that the almighty who is interested in all the great problems of civilization is interested in the negro problem he has carried the negro through the wilderness of disasters and at last put him in a large open place of liberty there is not the shadow of a doubt that this work which god has begun and is carrying on is for the mental and spiritual elevation of the negro end of topic twenty fifth paper